welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Uh, Knock On Podcast. I got my buddy Aaron Schneider on. What's up, dude? Can you believe we're both not doing something on the same hour? I, I literally, um, the moment I had some free time because we had talked about it last week, I was like, I, I better text him now because by some miracle he's not doing anything. We better knock one out. So, yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on again. Oh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a good time to. We're both coming off our pretty epic uh, hunting seasons for sure. I mean, you finished – you probably finished stronger than me, you punk, but it, <laughs> but it, it was an awesome year, wasn't it? It was. It was, a, it was a good year. I mean, there's always some, you know, I did, it wasn't all roses, but it definitely, it was definitely one of the years that I'll probably look back on when I'm 80 and, and think about, I mean, literally some pretty epic moments this year were just amazing. The goat hunt was one that was, I just can't design a hunt that way. I mean, you couldn't have drawn it out better. So, yeah, that looked really cool. You're, I mean, the photos that you had of that were pretty epic to be able to capture all that stuff. It's, you've got some good spotters to be able to get that stuff for you. It's pretty amazing. It, it it's actually, uh, it was. We literally had hoped we would find goats there six months or four months prior when I drew the tag. So my, my wife could be there on the valley floor. And then we took, I, I, I think you pay attention to MMA somewhat. Um, Luke with gladiators unleashed. He's one of Justin Gacy's trainers. And he literally sounds like Darth Vader from breaking his nose so many times in the woods. Oh, like he, you can't take him on a stock. Well, we hiked that poor bastard in there with us at like 12, five. And he, he, he got in there with, he, he and my wife, and, and they were the ones on the cameras on the valley floor when Frank and I were uh, up in the cliffs. So, you know, just that part of it right there, it doesn't happen very often where, you know, I was worried she wouldn't get to watch it or, or he wouldn't. And it's literally the, the goat followed the script and everything worked out great. Yeah, that it was it was fun to watch from a Instagram point of view. I still have yet to do one of those for myself, but. You know, honestly, I don't know why. I've never really had the bug to do it. I've done it with other people, but I don't know. I've just never never truly had the the drive to devote that much time to just like one shot. <laughs> I like going places yeah. where where I can kind of <laughs> make a shot and then bounce to somewhere new or, you know, or where there's multiple friends there that have the same tag. So if I fill out, I can be with one of my buddies, but to just be like the only guy there and it's like one kind of one and done. I don't know. Uh, you know, and that's why yeah. you and I, I think me, you and Barklow are going to be doing a cool hunt for everybody this uh, this next August, we're going to do a, we're going to do a Kodiak hunt. I think a lot of people have been waiting a long time for us to do a hunt together, but the reason that one's appealing to me is because there's multiple tags. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, 
it is truly a one and done uh, for years because <laughs> you only get the guy. <laughs> you know, like I went through it again for probably 10 years. So uh, it, it is a real one and done. But you're, you're right. The multiple, um, the multiple tag hunts um, or, or close proximity to other states or it is, it is funner because you are truly, uh, you know, focusing when you, when you draw a tag, like a sheep or a goat tag, the whole season on scouting and everything else for, for one shot. And it's cool, it, but it's, it's a hell of a lot different than, you know, a lot of other hunts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well this past week was insane, insane for, for me. I'm pumped. You told me that you would, uh, you would shoot a compound again too. That is this going to be your big, <laughs> your big announcement? <laughs> no, I get pounded enough about shooting a compound. Um, I I have to shoot one just for tech videos and stuff. I say have to, meaning like I, I do it to help guys out for tech videos and and stuff. Um, but I, you know, I. If I had a choice and wouldn't get blasted across the face of the earth by the trad community, I would really like to shoot tournaments with a, a compound more than anything. Um, and, uh, you know, a stick bow for, for hunting. And and I'd like to shoot a stick bow for, for tournaments as well. But, man, I tell you, the abuse I would take if I do that, we'll have to see how that goes. <laughs> well... I think you're doing such an important thing for the trad community. It's, I mean, there is a massive surge. I mean, massive surge to it. I mean, I even debated shooting one, but then once I shot one arrow out of it, I realized, no, now I know I stopped. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, you're doing, you're doing some awesome things for the trad community. And then also what I really like about it is that you're, you're so passionate about how much you're constantly committed to it. And that's what makes good trad archers because one of our, um, one of, one of our really good friends and he's been, been part of the knock on nation since the beginning, his name's uh, Justin Hackett and Justin is from South Dakota and I've done several deer hunts with him where, you know, he prefers the trad bow, even though he's got his compound, but the thing is, he shoots that thing all the time. He shoots it more than he shoots his compound bow. And that's why he, I mean, he's amazingly accurate at it. And I remember being at a, a deer camp one time and and uh, we actually, there was like eight of us on this lease and we all drew straws according to like what stands we were going to get to hunt during that opening weekend because, you know, some stands had, had bigger deer coming to him than others um and you know one of the comments one of the guys made was like well what happens if you know is justin gonna shoot his his recurve because you know if he ends up drawing that number one stand and he's out there with his recurve you know how's that gonna work you know and i just looked at him i'm like uh dude he'll freaking smoke you all day long 30 yards and in so you know, it's a pretty unfair comment to make. You know, I would trust him more with his recurve than I would with his compound. And for you, you're that you're that perfect, like, I guess, representative for trad archers because people are seeing you shoot every day in the yard, every day at the range. You're at tournaments with your buddies, like, more than anybody I know. 
and then you're putting it to use in the field and you're and you're doing a good job teaching people about it as well and i really like that yeah i'm doing my best the the uh old crusties in the trad community are difficult to deal with at, at times on uh on certain things like uh, like clickers or or elevated rest or you know or whatever and and, and <laughs> you know, I tell people like you know tra- traditional archery is what you want to make of it so if you want to make it as primitive as possible then rub some funk on it you do your thing and and that's nothing wrong with that but if you want to have a, a clicker on your bow or you want to have an elevated rest there's nothing wrong with that you know either you're just choosing to I say not handicap yourself, but, you know, go more primitive than, than obviously the wheels or whatever. And so, you know, on, on my end, it's like, I've kind of got my setup and it's working for me. And, 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 and I try to answer as many questions I can about that. Um, and it seems to be going, you know, fairly well, like you said, like there's a lot of people shifting over and I, I just like the fact that you and I can talk, um, about compounds, we can talk about stick bows and everyone learns from it, right? No matter either one, you learn about tuning, they work for both. And I mean, if guys wants to shoot both weapons, there's nothing wrong with that either. It's, it's just kind of cool to see more people getting into archery in general, whatever type. Yeah, for sure. Well, what I like too, is there's natural progressions that happen in hunting and, and in archery, I was having this discussion with a really good buddy of mine and I was talking to him about, um, they were, well, they were kind of talking about what type of things they should hunt first. And, you know, I kind of said, well, here's kind of some of the ways I'd like to see people progress. And I mentioned, you know, like a turkey hunt because they, they don't hear you talking and they're not smelling you and you're able to do, you know, you're able to be there with a mentor and talk a lot about what's happening and your interaction is close. And I said, the other thing is, you know, hogs over feeders, or, you know, if you have a brand new person to archery that maybe has a short attention span, or you want a very fixed situation, you know, taking them to a feeder in Texas or, you know, doing a a bear hunt over bait in Alberta. You know, these are things that once you do some of that stuff, then naturally, if you have any type of competitive nature, the next thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to go out and instead of hunting over a feeder, you're going to not want to hunt over a feeder. And then, you're going to, instead of hunting in a tree stand, you're going to want to start trying spotting and stock. And, you know, once you've shot a few whitetails, you're going to want to try an elk. And, you know, once you've gone out on an elk hunt and done that, you know, it just, all these natural progressions happen. And then eventually you get to the point where you might be like, you know what, I've done a lot of this with a compound. I might mix in like, I might try a turkey hunt with a recurve bow, or I might, you know, I might do my doe tag every year with a trad bow. Um, those are just natural progressions that people have. It's no different than someone that starts out, um, you know, with the 270 and then goes into a bigger caliber rifle. And then next thing you know, after they realize they can just bang stuff anywhere they see it, and then they start, you know, either trying like a muzzle loader or trying a pistol. And it's just like this natural, you know, competitive drive to like make things more difficult a lot of people have that a lot of people want it easier but a lot of people do have that drive to make things a little bit more difficult and 
I think that was just a natural path for you because you're like me. You get out and, you know, it's not like you're doing one one or two deer hunts a year. You know, we're we're able to do a lot of that stuff. And naturally, the more you're able to do, the more you're kind of able to experiment, so to speak, and, and try some different things. Definitely. And, and I, I, as I explain it to, to, to people that ask as far as, you know, am I ready to, to switch? I'm like, you know, I don't know if you're ready, man. I, I don't know you, right. If it's just a, a message online, but I'm like, if you're bored with shooting a compound or you just have that natural drive to be challenged and whether you're ready or not, give it a whirl and just know that you got to put a lot of practice into it. Some people may, may never get into shooting a, a stick at all and, and then other guys i'm like dude nothing says you have to hunt with it they're fun to shoot just go fling arrows across the woods and have fun with it occasionally you know maybe that's all that you you want to do and that'll tell you you know maybe you want to go farther but like uh, uh donnie that you bring that up donnie vincent he got a hold of me he's going to shoot uh the recurve a little bit this year and he said exactly what you did he's like man i think i'm going to do uh turkey and, and a bear hunt, you want to go with me? And I'm like, man, those are the two hunts I would highly suggest yeah. because like I said, target risk environment controlled, you know, in a blind and, and you just, they don't smell, you know, it, it's hard enough to kill something with a, a piece of wood anyway. So you might as well, you know, have some fun with the first couple and some realistic chance of success. Um, then, you know, going on an OTC, do it yourself, elk hunting Colorado with 4 million people around you, it still may be fun, but you're probably not going to get any trigger time and and you're definitely not going to have nearly as much fun to kind of draw it in further. Like you talked, you know, the, the progression. So, um, and I think, you know, like Donnie's a great spokesman for archery in general. Um, so, you know, it's good to see him try both, um, you know, as far as, you know, doing the compound and the, and the recruit. Yeah. It's funny how many people, um, kind of go back and forth. The one thing that that gets a little bit difficult and a good buddy of mine did this is he shot a compound for quite a while and then he ended up getting a a really nice uh you know stick bow built and was shooting that for probably about 6 months and then all of a sudden he went back to his compound to go on a hunt and first time back on the range he pulled back and just lets go of his release and just launches it right into the back of this <laughs> riser and I'm like he goes yeah i was just totally thinking like i'm on the target let it rip and i'm just like oh man so that's kind of the hard part is you know understanding the difference and not getting antsy to like let it go that's the cool thing about the clicker is you you do start to understand how to overcome target panic and that like need to release a string right now um you know, by going out and, and letting that, you know, letting that thing float around on the target and letting your instincts move around while you're continually pulling until you hear that click, you know, that teaches patience at full draw. And in some ways it is therapy for the guys that are struggling with, you know, letting their pin float around on the target, even with the compound. Yeah. I agree. And I, I can tell you firsthand, um, grabbing a compound now, I am significantly better than I was uh, before I picked up the stick because the way that I shoot the recurve with the clicker, um, you know, requires quite a bit of, 
of discipline just to pull through that, you know, clicker consistently. And, and it helps with a lot of things when it transfers back over, when you grab the, the compound, just like you said. And one of the biggest things is just my, my bow arm is significantly steadier and back tension, you know, whether I'm using a release like yours, which is, you know, more of a true back tension or, or a hinge, um, they're a lot easier to operate um, than they were before just because of the, you know, the, the nature of pulling through a clicker. So it, it's, it's been fun, man. I, I, I have to say I have a horseshoe in my ass. Like I shot a Wolverine with that thing. I know. If That's you would have cool. bet me a billion dollars before the season, if I would even see a Wolverine, and then here I am, I shot one with a stick, so I'm almost afraid to put it down because my luck might run out. I get some kind of a jinx going or something. <laughs> well, it could happen. Yeah, I've 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 had a <laughs> I've had a horseshoe up my butt, and believe me, I've seen people that I consider black clouds, and I'm like, don't touch me, don't. like barclow's one of those people yeah barclow i'm like barclow i'm in camp with you but like don't just don't like contact me just keep keep all your tags over there (laughs) (laughs) man that that dude is funny he was in alberta with us and, and i was hunting in a different area but he uh he is a super funny dude i mean some of the things he says which i certainly cannot say on this podcast I literally was laughing so hard the next day you would have thought I did crunches all night. He just comes up with some off the wall stuff. He's truly one of those guys that he's just a pleasure to, to be around and you get him a little lifted up. It just expounds his, uh, his general nature. He's, he, and you've hung out with him a ton. He's a funny, funny dude. Yeah. If, if uh, like iRobots become real, you could certainly try to like, a Barklow in camp would be mandatory to where, like, when you come in, you just push that thing's on button and just have that sucker just start, like, blurting out stuff that everyone wants to say but no one will say. And then, uh, you know, just have them f- drink every drop of tequila within a one-mile radius. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, think it would be a, I think it would be awesome. A great Christmas present for all to have an eye Barklow. Exactly. Yeah, and I Barklow instead of what was that one doll everybody wanted forever? Uh, it, you get a Barklow instead. Um, yeah, he he was a hoot up there. I I I don't know if he told you. I I I stalked in on what I thought was a mule deer at the time. This is how big it was. It turned out being a hundred eighty five hundred ninety plus inch white tail. That's what he told me. And I'm me. like eight yards. <laughs> I'm like eight or nine yards from it, texting them photos. I'm like, dude, I about screwed up that's a white tail. And he's like, where are you at? And I'm like, I, I'm right here. He's like, what do you mean right here? I'm like, I'm kneeling down in front of this white tail. Dude, he's, he's huge. It's not a mule deer. It was <laughs> crazy. Cause it, it just looked like it's G2 just looked like, you know, the split cause it was so big of a, of a mule deer in the red brush. And yeah, he, he was, he was fun to have up in camp. He was cool. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. He told me that he told me you had stocked up to one that was just like, world-class whitetail that it, at first you guys thought was a muley well did you you didn't go to the show did you no the i pulled a hamstring no there, there's um uh, a lot of stuff going on at kafari that i i had to uh to miss the show which um oh you I mean all I the things that have happened guy. you mean all the things that have happened at kafaro since july that you haven't been there to deal with Part, part of the problem with that, yes. Um, and I was, 
I got back in enough time to go to Arizona. So it's not like I spent it. There was a lot of stuff going on when I was in Arizona on that, that mule deer hunt. So yeah, I kind of had to grow up and actually do some work for a little bit. That's hilarious. Well, you didn't, uh, I guess you missed, I normally try to, to do the show as, as little as possible if I'm honest, but, um, you freaking missed a, a really cool show this time. It was, it was humbling and insane. Um, yeah, it, I don't even know how to really describe it. I just know that originally I was going to kind of try to, you know, gracefully, uh, you know, bow down from, you know, my, my Hoyt contract and, uh, quietly move on but then all of a sudden like within i don't know it seemed like within a week or two weeks it became clear of you know hey you know what changes can you make we think we can have something ready for the ata show and i'm like well i'm supposed to be down by mexico so i wasn't planning on being at the ata show and it turned into something that was not going to happen to then having a good buddy of mine literally pick me up so that he could take us to the ATA show. And as we're going, we're like picking up parts that we have to, like we landed in Indianapolis and I had the Uber drive us to a fastenal factory to get freaking screws for the quick stands that mount in the riser I had cut off arrows and had them in my, in my, in my backpack and, and, and literally like got all these things glued in and walked into the trade show that morning with, with these things in my pocket and was like putting everything together with, uh, like Greg Poole and the media people and, and, and George Tekmachov like calling me out. I'm sitting there taking this stuff and like putting it together but it ended up just i don't know i've been part of a lot of really cool launches at the ata show and i certainly feel like this is this was one of them i was taken away by how much support we have not only by the knock on nation but also the dealers the amount of dealers that have come forward and then over this past week um i mean the the response to the bow is like 4x any record that we had you know had in the past so it's been pretty dang awesome you know um and i'm not sure how, why it all came together that way but that is how it came together yeah i i have to say that um and, and obviously i'm on in a position to where you know people talk or they'll call me and ask what's going on and one of the the things I, I have to say, and not pumping your tires, if there was a a way to gracefully and professionally um, transfer from one company to another, um, you, you wrote the the book on how to do that because um, you you were very respectful on how you did it, and you know there it couldn't be denied, obviously, that you were genuine on everything you did, um, and, and you know there was there was no from my perspective, you didn't hold anything back. There wasn't any, you know, you took that last deer. Uh, you were very, that was a cool, I mean, it looked like you were ready to jerk a tear. Um, 
which if I was there, I would have made fun of you for. Um, I, yeah, no, yeah, I did on the, I did on the way home. I did on the way home. I actually, uh, I kind of took a selfie of myself, like kind of bawling in my truck, and I sent it to a few of the Hoyt guys and just said, like, this is what I'm dealing with tonight. You know, this is so hard. Um, but everything happens for a reason, and you know, maybe. Maybe the the guys at PSE feeling feeling like based on the things I told them, like in conversation, like here's a few things I would certainly like to see different. Um, from them to be able to say we can make this happen, like we can make it happen. And I was sitting there thinking, and I told Sharon, she's just like, that's not going to happen. There's just no way that's going to happen. And then I went to the ATA wondering about like, holy crap, you know, what happens if this thing got put together so fast or ends up, you know, something not being right. Um, and no, they freaking nailed it. And then the last two weeks or last week, I guess it's just been, you know, me getting like these next generation prototypes here so that I can immediately give the thumbs up, thumbs down and trying to, you know, write press releases and have the team help make a landing page and, you know, everyone's like trying to catch up, which normally it's the opposite. Normally all this prep has been happening for months and months and months and you get to the ATA show and everything's ready to go and we're the other way around. But the crazy thing is they're confident we're going to be shipping bows within four weeks. So, um, that's going to be pretty awesome. And that's, that's one of the impressive things about when I went to PSE is I had really just forgotten that they have the capability of doing every single thing in house. And that is, uh, that is impressive to be able to do that. You know, that that's when you're able to have real creative when you can actually make those things in house. And you guys are the same with packs, you know, you're making your packs right there to where you're not outsourcing everything. And it makes a world of a difference in what in your ability to respond to the market. It it, it does, and I mean, even on the the recurve side, I I I was looking at um, honestly, I'd like to test myself, so I wanted to shoot some indoor and three D tournaments with with a stick as well, and you know, to be to put myself in a position to not handicap myself against competitors, I, I needed to shoot a you know a competition bow. And I called Greg and was like, hey, uh, can you put me in contact with somebody at PSE? Uh, I, get, you know, I said, I guess they make a, one hell of a tournament book. And uh, I was even enlightened from that. I was like, wow, these guys can't do anything that they want to do. Um, Did you get one? Was, you know, it was super cool. What did you uh, get? We're, we're in the, I mean, literally, this just happened, man. Like, literally 24 hours ago. So um, we're... We're we're in the works of, of getting that going. Um, you need to try and, and this one. I'm just, I think you're gonna like having something that's a hunting type model that's easily able to cross over. I mean, that's kind of my focus right now. I definitely want to do some type of a a tournament style bow down the road, but I also I'm pretty passionate about crossover stuff right now, and I feel like this the specs on these kind of give the happy medium between those two things for both people. Yeah, I'll be, I'd definitely be interested. And we can talk, you know, more about that after too. And what was, what was funny with all of uh, this was, 
as you're at the ATA with the launch of your bow, obviously people think I'm a lot more important than I am. I'm getting messages of what do you think of Doug's bow? And I'm like, you can read about it just like I can. I have <laughs> no idea. I'm like, do you think they shipped me one of those four months ago? I'm like, dude, I don't know that Dudley knows everything. I'm like, there's a lot going on right now, fellas, and I was not. I'm like, you know, John and I are friends, but I don't know what he's got going on with his, with his, with his bow or, or whatever. And, I mean, literally like 50 or 60 people had messaged me, and I'm like, guys, you can tune in just like I can, and I wasn't going to call you and bug you at the show, obviously. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll link up with him later and, uh, you know, get the 411 on it. But I was like, man, I'm in the dark just like you guys. Um, and you like said, a lot of that stuff happens. I mean, it's pretty last minute. So, um, yeah, I, you it, know, it for that, sure was I, on mine. I mean, I was in, <laughs> I was in a, a small plane, like literally sitting behind the pilots, like with my knees in my chest and my, <laughs> and my bow case, like bear hugging my bow case in the back of this. I don't even know what kind of plane it was, but it was small. And I'm like flying to the to the deal, and Sharon's like sitting facing me, and we're just like sandwiched in there like a burrito. And um, like you're getting ready to go on a doll sheep hunt or something. Yeah, because there was like time wise, there was I there was no way to do anything else. Now I will say, I did get the bows earlier, and I have I think a year ago I shot um, the Evo Cam on the original carbon model, and then this this fall um i did get like a well i got a a 31 a 33 and a 35 and i shot all those at home and that's a big reason why i knew what i liked and what i didn't like and i knew that the 33 was a really good fit fit the mass majority of draw lengths with with one cam size and i I liked how it felt um the speeds were good and i shot it a lot at 100 yards but that was a stock model, you know, granted I wrote down things like if I had my ability to make changes, like here's some of the stuff I think I would do. And honestly, I never, I was like, I told them flat out, I'm not going to talk to you about what I would do to your bow until I'm a hundred percent that I know I'm, I'm not going to, you know, be at, at Hoyt January one. So it was one of those deals where they're like, okay, I mean, are you, are you able, are you finally ready to tell us what, <laughs> what you want to make different? Because, you know, we might be able to make it happen. And I'm saying that's if you tell me right now. And so I was kind of like, all right, well, here's what it is. And I, and I did tell him like, if anything falls through last minute, you can't do it, you know? <laughs> and they put, they, yeah. they put it together, but no, I'm confident in the system itself. There was just tweaks that I think really tailor into how I like to set up a bow and the accessories that I like. Um, and I don't know. I think it's it's not reinventing the whole wheel. It's just making the the wheel roll smoother. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's a good way to to put it. And I mean, when you have someone with with your capabilities and, and knowledge. Um, you know, obviously, um, things I get contacted on, on the gear side, is definitely not reinventing the wheel, but like you said, you're just making the wheel spin a little easier. And, and that is a very good way to put it And With all the knowledge you have and dealing with everything, it, 
you know, even a 2% increase in, in uh, wheel movement is a lot these days because, you know, technology's gone as far as it, you know, technology's, you know, <laughs> any advancements now are going to be pretty incremental. Yeah. Um, yeah. Efficiency but you got to have the is, right people to even. The cam efficiency is like right? hit. Like the cam efficiency is like maximized unless there's an all new type of compound system that comes in. At this point, it's all give or take. But I think the yep. key, the key to like newer models are going to be your ability to to take something that really suits how you're teaching people to go into the field, use it in the field, and come out of the field. So for me, for the amount of times I went into a hunting blind and there was no freaking bow hanger in there. So I'm either like putting my arrow on the bow and like propping it up. So my arrow's like poking on the front of the blind window and I'm got this balancing act going. And then halfway through the day when I fall asleep, I end up falling over and ramming my expandable head through the blind. And then I've got a deployed collar and then I'm dealing with that. I mean, it was like, what the hell? I need the ability to just put a freaking stand on this thing when I'm in a ground blind or or in my range. In my personal range for seven years, seven years I've had my own indoor range and I still have not put a dang bow hanger in there. And it's just it's just how it lays out. There's like, you know, a big garage door behind me. So where am I going to put a bow hanger? And so I've always just every time had to walk halfway to the target, lean it against something and then or take it all the way to the target. So, you know, it was one of those things, too, where I'm like, if I just had a freaking stand, I could just set this thing on the floor right here, go down and get my arrows, come back. And, you know, that's that's the intent for it. You know, that's its limitations. It's just it's kind of just giving you a little bit of. I don't know, a little bit of gravy for your potatoes. It's not making you a whole new potato. It's just, it's just taking something real simple and making it work better. And the same is true, like with my arrow rest and a lot of people that shoot a a limb driven arrow rest or a fall away arrow rest. It's like, okay, there's something jerking down on that rest all the time. Like every shot it's jerking down. So the last thing you want is only one screw tightening down on the riser so why not have a secondary you know the ability to have a secondary screw there so that that thing never slides up or down and i don't know it's just little simple things like that you know to where i've been sitting in a blind thinking you know this would be nice if if uh and that's it was like that the first time i started shooting uh that first evo nxt that i got the, the riser shelf was real flat, flat, so I was having to use my actual arrow holder on my arrow rest, which that is what it's intended for, but I just never had to do that before because the arrow was always at least kind of centered within the whale tail, mm-hmm. and so putting that trough on there and putting a perfectly flat spot on the back of that riser shelf to where when that wider whale tail lays down, both of the 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 prongs are perfectly flat and you don't have your right one up in the air one way and your left one up in the air the other way depending on your center shot i just think all that stuff just made sense you know it's just small things like you said that just make it more convenient to just do the things that we do no i i agree and i and i explain that to people all the time like technology in the last even 10 years hasn't change that much at the, at the base of it but 
you know, I say creature comforts like it's a vehicle, but truly small little creature comforts or, or, you know, the things that make your life just a little easier, which is what you're talking about is where the improvements in my opinion are, are going to, to be, um, probably the most appreciated. Um, just cause man, I mean, you can only just squeeze so much juice out of a bow. You can only, <laughs> you can only make one so fast and so forgiving and, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Those, the things I were watching, because people don't think about this, especially if they don't sit in a blind a lot. Uh, it's even worse with, worse with a stick bow. The epic pain in the butt of getting your bow, like they make some aftermarket things that you can jam in the ground to hold your bow. I have not had one of those like deploy perfectly without some kind of reefing, some kind of noise or in the case of there's sometimes they don't go in the ground, right? They just don't, the ground's too <laughs> come hard, to, right? Come to and Iowa like, right oh. now. It's not going in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Or it's sand. And then your bow is like drunk, right? Yeah. It's halfway leaning over because, and, and people are like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. What, you know what? If you have a 200 inch deer or, you know, let's just say a six year old deer that's been around the block and seen a couple things. Yeah. It's pretty important. It's a little yeah. you can make. I mean, he's been shot at before. He's pretty smart. And, and, you know, people, I don't think people realize that until it's too late, right? Till they've blown one out and then you assess what happened. And something as simple as a bow stand is as goofy as it may seem is literally could be night and day difference because the bow's right there. There's no noise. And when you're popping it off one of those goofy looking fishing pole holders, you know, there's rubber coating on them. And even that I've had squeaks and blow things out. And with what you have, from what I've seen, and you have been in my hand, it doesn't look like any of those things are an issue. So it seemed pretty, pretty freaking smart to me. And, and not like, like you said, not reinventing the wheel. It's just something that we had really done that way. Well, it's a starting point. I mean, things are only going to get better. Someone's going to come to me and be like, Hey dude, you know how you do this? What if you just made it like this? And I'm like, Oh, duh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I get for for only thinking about it for like a month. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that happens. And honestly, being able to have the ability to bring forward like those types of things from our followers is going to be helpful. Um, hey, one thing I want to make sure we talk about before we have to go, because um, we I think we only got about 10 minutes left. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and it would almost be awesome if you and I did like a um, – what the hell is that science theater 3000? You remember, you know, that show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back in, that's been a long time, man. Well, I think it used to be called like 2000, but now I saw it the other day, they brought it back and now it's 3000 since we're in the two thousands. But, um, I thought it'd be so fun to do a thing where you and I sat down and just watched like shot angles and, and arrow impacts and just talked about the truth of what is actually happening because every single time I post uh, a shot, it's incredible to me how many people are instantly like, your penetration sucks, bro. And it's like, well, I actually like a quartering away angle and I'm looking at putting my pin is on the opposite side shoulder socket and if I have a 29 inch shaft that's bearing to the fletch and driving through the knuckle of the opposite arm, I'm going to argue that's actually a freaking great penetration. Um, 
you know, it's it's funny some of the penetration stuff that people show. They're just not comparing apples to apples, and not to mention there's certainly things that can penetrate better, but in a marginal hit, like you might as well just throw it out the window. I'm just such a like I'm such a believer in like you know the the certain types of expandables. If you're shooting um, decent poundage and have a decent weight arrow, I just feel like that cutting diameter just does so much more. And I wanted your opinion on that, but I also wanted your opinion on I'm I actually want to s- start the conversation of. I feel like my blood trails, the majority of the time, are actually better when I have the arrow from one side of the animal over to the other and that is lodged in to where as that animal's running, that arrow is literally just winding around in that hole and not letting anything plug it. And in the amount of stuff that's just blowing out of that thing and slinging up in the air and... It just seems like you almost have a better, you have like a more hellacious freaking blood trail when that happens versus just zip, zip, and they start running and the hide sliding back behind the rib cage and you're having to let it slide forward. And, you know, you kind of have these areas where you're like, well, that is a hard shot, but it's kind of minimal blood versus that arrow just being wedged in there and just having this massive amount of blood just slinging out one side. And I think, and this is definitely going to have to be a totally separate podcast, but (laughs) I think in a situation where you're talking about with a, like with the rage with it, with a large uh, cutting diameter, one hole with the arrow, you know, wallowing around. I don't know that that could really be argued. Like, all you're assuring is that one giant hole stays open. And I would say if you were shooting a, a two blade cut on contact, you know, single or double bevel, smaller, uh, type of a broadhead, that may not be as, as accurate. You almost may want two holes there than you would one, but with one massive hole and an arrow wallowing it out when it's running, I don't know that that could be argued. I mean, I, you know, it, it, one of the reasons it can't be argued is on film, it's, it's provable, right? <laughs> like, I've seen videos where that arrow is literally your best friend because every step he takes, it's yarding that hole out from one side to the other. And the, the issue I have with this conversation is, is um, not saying everyone, but some people have to use some, some common sense in the equation, and I've got to make sure, and as well as I'm sure you do the same thing, I've got to make sure and ask as many questions as possible before giving them an answer. Because if you're shooting um, a 500 grain arrow and you're shooting that thing at 280 feet per second, you can shoot pretty much anything you want. So you might as well shoot something that's got a big hole, right? Like, like a rage or something. Obviously I'm in a different boat. I'm shooting a stick boat and guys will come back at me, um, with certain situations. And I'm like, well, man, you can twist it however you want, but my aunt could grow balls and become my uncle too. So that small percentage that you came up with is so unlikely to happen. Let's step back in that 99% of reality of what is probably going to happen. Don't focus on that 1%. Let's focus on the 99. 
I hopefully I'm making some sense of that because you put enough animals in the ground on the ground, you know, you're, you're definitely going to have a pretty good grasp on the normal stuff that you're faced with. And I, I would have to say like most guys are, are, are hypothesizing what, what might happen. And sometimes those, their, their hypothesis is figured out off of bad numbers, I guess. Right. If that makes any sense. So I, I think it would be a really good podcast because you could really dig deep in that thing and people would learn a lot. Cause let's face it. If somebody shoots one animal a year on a normal job and budget and everything else, they're doing pretty good where you and I get to shoot 20, 30, 40 a year, just better data and, and a lot better talking points. Yep. Yep. Well, I don't know. It's hard for me to, to take opinions from, I don't know when I, when I see opinions like that and then I look back through like, especially through Instagram and I've realized like, Oh wait, there's, there's maybe like one thing that's been shot on this page in the last year. It's hard to, you know, data includes volume of data, not one opinion. You know, if I tell you, you know, this golf club is the best golf club ever based on the fact that I just pulled it out of your bag and hit it off the tee box and it freaking went perfectly centered down the fairway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could make that opinion or I could swing it for the whole rest of the, the course and realize this sucker slices and hooks just like any other one, you know? <laughs> I had a guy message me about a specific arrow that, I'll talk about after he, you know, he, I don't know why you're not shooting these. Obviously you're paid. These are the toughest arrow ever made. And I'm like, dude, let me have it. Tell me why I was shooting at my 3d target and it went straight into a rock and didn't break. Jeez. That's it. That's all you got. Like, I'm like, dude, uh, all right, fair enough, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'll put that in the suggestion. I didn't even know what to say. And I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, this year with whitetails, uh, just for, for me alone, not including you, you know, that number's in the, the double digits. Each one of those, I'm learning something, I'm taking a mental note, and one isn't exclusive to the other. Something happens different every time. And I'm, I'm sure, like, you've made a shot and, and something happened where you're like, well, I did, didn't expect that, right? Like, I, I hit a doe this year that went 380 yards on a double lump. That'll make you think hard about what you're using because if I wouldn't have seen it go down, I don't know that I would have found it. Well, those are the kind of things where you can help people with that kind of knowledge and talk about it, dissect it. And again, and I try, you know, try not to get in trouble for being arrogant. If you've shot one animal in five years, yeah, man, I'm probably not going to give you a lot of, of time on my page or, or time or an effort unless you're just truly asking for advice because, you know, you, you're really probably just stirring up shit is what you're doing. Um, <laughs> you're really not trying to probably help anyone, you know, and I think you probably get the same stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no question. I get it all the time. I get it all the time. And, well, you know, I've sh- real, realistically, I've sh- how many how many animals have you shot in the last two years? Just two. <laughs> I don't want to say. That's what I mean. Like, I'm in the same boat. But truly, what would you guess on conservatively? Based and if on you, like, so you need to edit it out later. No, I mean, I don't know if I factor in, if I factor in like 
some management hogs. hunts that I've done and yeah, yeah. Oh, hogs. And then if I look at like programs that I've done for like DMAP stuff or, you know, conservation to, I don't know, a couple hundred guessing. Yeah. So that's a lot of data that, and this is where, I mean, you're talking a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Few, you know, a couple years, a yeah. couple, couple hundred. Yeah. I mean, so you, and here's where you get in trouble with like the EFOC crowd. Very few guys that I know shoot extreme front of center are shooting that many animals. I have nothing against them. I'm not talking to them about them at all, but sheer numbers. If I had an EFOC guy that laid down 200 animals and I'm not talking in the seventies with Ashby current time, I would probably listen to what they had to say because I'd be curious. But for the most part, guys shooting 25, 30% extreme front of center have a couple animals on the ground. Well, it's hard for me to argue with that. I'm not trying to be an a-hole about it. It's just like, guys, you're going to have a hard time convincing me EFOC is going to be deadlier than what I'm shooting now because what I'm shooting now is working pretty dang good. So that's where, you know, I think a lot of the, the issue lies with some of that is the guys screaming about certain things don't have a lot of, of, of data on multiple different levels, meaning, you know, extreme front of center all the way down. And, and you're usually probably like 13 to 15, I would assume from what we've talked to board. I don't even measure mine. It just is what it is, but it, yeah. it would be interesting. to. I, I don't either, talk about it. but I also feel like there's certainly benefits to it, but there's also the ability to, to like, to make it happen. I mean, for me to make that happen, I don't want to draw too long. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one, it's going to be, I'm going to be so limited on the amount of arrows that I can find that I could make that happen. But then two, you know, I shot 250 feet a second back when I bought my first PSE. I don't really want to do that again. <laughs> you know, it's you know, like by the I'm time I'm whopping I, 180. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the time I load something up like that, I just feel like, yeah, you're, you know, I totally agree with, you know, some of the benefits, but I also know there's a huge benefit between my bow that shoots my speed and my son's bow that shoots his. And I'm not talking about penetration. I'm talking about reaction time. And, you know, if you're in a moment where you have to kind of guess yardage on the fly and you might be off two or three yards or you're with an animal that's reacting to the string and you're shooting an arrow that because you've loaded it up that much is eight, nine feet, 10 feet a second slower. You, it doesn't matter the penetration because you're not hitting what you're aiming at. You know, there's like, there's, there's valid argument to that too. I think there's, there's like this, there's a happy ground where people have yep. good pin gaps to where you still have two pins on the animal. Um, you know, even, and, and if you have to make a guess on the fly, you still have two pins that are on the animal, you know, with 40 yards or less, but then also, yeah, certainly just being able to to have those speeds and be able to hit where you're aiming when you're shooting at something that's a string jumper. And those are, it's not like they have signs on them. You know, they don't come in with like orange tipped ears where you're like, okay, this is a string jumper. It's, 
And this is this is actually another um, valid point because I posted several of my last kills, and all my last kills are heart shots. And so I want people to keep in mind all those last kills that you see on Instagram that I posted. Those those deer were pretty nervous. Their demeanor was nervous when I saw them. So I was aiming lower third because not because I wanted to hit lower third, but I was fully anticipating hitting halfway based on them string jumping. Now in those three cases, none of them did string jump. However, I'm still safe because I'm lower third and I ended up, you know, kind of shooting the heart in half on those last three. But if they would have string jumped, I would have still been fine. If I would have been aiming halfway and had a string jumper, even at my speed, at some of those distances, I would have been in no man's land and I would have ended up losing those animals. So based on the demeanor, that has a lot to do with where I hold on some of these animals. And if I'm hunting deer that are from you know Oklahoma, Texas, um, you know, Mississippi, same way. Like you shoot a deer down, down in the South where, you know, all of us rednecks have been chasing them their whole life. Dude, those suckers will jump through their own butthole getting out of the way of an arrow. So you have to kind of anticipate that based on their demeanor. If they're twitching, just walking around the woods, hearing a squirrel chew on a nut, then when that bow goes off, regardless of how quiet it is, the same thing could happen. And, you're going to want to make sure that you've aimed accordingly. Yeah, you're a hundred percent, you know, correct. Especially after hunting Alabama for a while and in, in Oklahoma this year, they were pretty tuned up in that specific spot. I, I was in, I missed, I, I don't know if you saw that one big, crazy looking whitetail I shot. I shot one at one, probably 20 inches bigger at 14 yards <laughs> and literally almost shot it in the face. It got out of the way so fast. Yep. Um, you know, if butt was to the left, corner and away, head was to the right, perfect shot. So you know how they load up, and it, it brought its head towards its butt to blow out of there. I went right over the top of it. Its face hit the fletches, and my arrow flipped in the air out of the stand. I thought I shot it in the face. It ran off, and I literally was just like, okay, we're going to have to assess this situation because that had 185-plus inches of horn on its head, and I just shot it in the face. Well, I didn't end up shooting it in the face, but I still didn't kill it. And people, when I talk about from drawing your bow, the clothing you have on, the sound of your arrow, the noise, the broadhead, you know, until people miss a few like that, they're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Well, once you do it, yeah. I mean, I aim at the heart every time, all the time, where in the areas you're talking about. Because I've seen them drop 18 inches and full-on Michael Jackson or, or Matrix me on <laughs> film where the arrow is right where I aim. Yep. But they're literally belly flopping. Yep. And, you know, people are like, no, no. And then I'll have guys from, like, Alabama, like, dude, I'm glad somebody's telling the truth about this. Because nobody understands how much these deer move. They're it's shot a real at for thing. five months a year. It's a real yeah, thing. It's a problem. <laughs> so so then mix yep. mix in the guy that gets you know the guy or gal that gets you know kind of sucked into the extreme foc uh you know wormhole and feels like they have to have that and now instead of them let's just say it's let's just say it's a guy that's only able to shoot 65 pounds 
And now he's loading 200 grains in the front of that arrow. His overall arrow is starting to get a little bit heavy, you know, based on the application. And now he's going into a situation like that where even if he's aiming at the heart and you're shooting 260 feet a second, uh, some of these deer at 25 yards, you, you might hit the other side. I mean, you you really could. Yeah. So there's a fine line there of, yeah, I understand if I hit it, I will have more momentum and blow through. But the first thing is I do have to hit it. Like that is the first thing, yeah. you know? <laughs> and honestly, for yeah. me, I'm like, when I hit it, can I go 10 inches, you know, because if I can, if I can hit that right where I need to, and I go from one side of the cavity to the other side of the cavity, even if that arrow is lodged in the opposite side knuckle and it's freaking just ratcheting around every single time that legs moving forward or back, uh, the blood, the blood trails that you've seen from me, that's a big reason why there's that much there. Through and throughs, in my opinion, do give less, um, unless it's on the angles where it just tears so much hide. But the other thing, too, is if you shoot things on camera, which I do, and the big reason why I don't post this stuff is because even though it's educational to bow hunters, to non hunters, slow motion arrow entry and impact starts to wig people out. But what I'll tell you is, if I go through and frame by frame that stuff, the amount of penetration that happens at the time that the arrow stops versus half of a second later, as soon as that animal's reacting and starting to tense up and drive that arrow back out, it's very, very misleading on what the penetration truly is. And honestly, I've weighed all this stuff out and I shoot what I shoot because I know for me, it works the most amount of times and it bails me out of the times where something isn't flawless yeah well and i think what you're talking about is is uh i mean at the root of it common sense of what you're hunting what the best situation or the best setup for that specific situation is like if you're going to go hunt cape buffalo not exactly duck and strength you're going to maybe cater to a different arrow setup. If you're hunting cracked out whitetails, your setup's going to be totally different. And there's not one, and I don't have any issue with uh, a good front of center. I do start to have issues with crazy EFOC because I just don't think it doesn't make, it's not needed. And you can take a semi truck to the drive through to order a cheeseburger, yep. or you can take a car, right? Um, but you can't haul a triple trailer with a car. No different with arrows. You have to pick. And sometimes, you know, people have enough money to have multiple set, setups. So there's going to be a happy medium setup for everything in North America that, like you say, for 99, 96, 95% of the time is your best option. And your best option, you may not set up for shooting through the scapula or the shoulder bone. If you're, if you're setting yourself up, your system up to shoot it through the shoulder knuckle, you probably got some bad data before you even got started. Like who plans on shooting it in the shoulder knuckle? Like, well, I don't, I definitely don't on the way in. I don't care if it hits it on the way out, but yeah, to to hit that on on the way out. Yeah. (laughs) To hit it on the way in. I'm just like, Oh baby. And yeah, it's, uh, when I talk about like the 90, 10, 
I'm talking 90% of the animal I hit with the rage, I feel like I'm totally good to go. The 10%, that's kind of a combination of like four shoulder knuckles. <laughs> and if yeah. I, you're not aiming for those, and honestly, if you hit it, yeah, there might be a few things that get you through it, but the other 90% of the time, if you shoot something through the guts with a one and a half in, or a one inch cut that doesn't exp- rip a hole or slap cut bigger than that, it's not as easy as putting a freaking two inch cut through something's, you know, paunch and it really hurts them. I, I can tell you a liver shot hit, this is without a doubt. You hit an animal in the liver with a one-inch fixed blade compared to a two-inch fixed blade or a two-inch mechanical, their reaction is night and day. And you would think <laughs> yeah. liver is liver. No, But no. I can tell you It's like a liv- liver punch go, by Mike Tyson versus, you know, someone in your frat house. Yeah, it's a big yeah, difference. Yeah, like Wee Herman. <laughs> yeah. And the same goes for, for a gut punch. You put a, they won't even act hardly hit sometimes with a, a one, one and a 16th cut. I mean, they'll act hit, but you know what I mean? Where you hit one with a, a two inch mechanical or fish, you know, without a doubt, that bad boy is betting quick. And it's no different than a rifle. You hit something in the stomach with a 22 compared to a 338 edge plus P. They know they've been hit. They're going to go lay down. And when people start to argue about this stuff, like, I'm like, well, dude, what are you planning for? Gut shots and shoulder shots the rest of your life? Like, it doesn't make sense with what you're you're running across to me. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I won't keep going. We can handle it in a different podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, I gotta get just, I gotta get boogieing because I'm running. Yeah. I'm running. I got my phone buzzing here because I've got to do a I've got to do a podcast with my my buddy Christian Berg. So, dude, this was awesome. We need to do it again. Let's do one for Kafaru. Or we'll we'll go crash Barclow's house and uh, we'll go oh. from there. <laughs> yeah, let's get him lick it up and do one. That'll be a good. So oh, cool. Yeah. No, that sounds good, man. I I, I appreciate everything. And uh, yeah, I'll get a hold of you here soon enough. The next week we'll do another one. We'll talk about broadheads and whatever else. All right. Well, knock on everybody. Thanks, Aaron. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.